All right, well, it is my privilege to introduce to you our session one speaker, Amy Dimitrico is a longtime friend to Westside Leavenworth. She actually works at our parent campus of um, Westside Lenexa. And it, uh, she was with us for um, our Courageous Conference several years ago. And I have just loved getting to know her. And the more I get to know her, the more I love her. She leads with honesty, with vulnerability, and if I'm honest, a lot of humor. <laughs> and then I found out she also has a doodle, and I have a doodle, so, you know, we have that going on as well. And the words that she has to speak on thriving for families is such a powerful one. I hope that you lean in to what she has to speak, because the words that God has given her to speak to you were bur birthed out of pain. They were birthed in prayer, and those give life to all who hear it. So in just a moment, when she takes the stage, I hope that you give her a warm welcome when Amy Demry-Turcos takes the stage. Just a quick note for all of those who are watching this video podcast, the first two minutes of the audio are a bit difficult to understand, so we do have some captions available, but if you'd rather, you can fast forward the first two minutes and the audio does improve, but we hope that you enjoy this session of Thrive for Our Families. Like, I'm 52. Like, I haven't been a bridesmaid in a wedding for probably 25 years. 
And, but it was so much fun. But it was, um, they were all in their late 20s, early 30s. One of the bridesmaids was a chief's cheerleader. Um, and then there's me. And, uh, but, you know, the second I got home, I mean, it was one of those surviving moments. Like, I loved it, but I was surviving. And I could not wait until I got home and I could take that dress off. I didn't even make it inside. I'm being totally honest. I hit the garage and I started undressing. And my husband was like, whoa, wait a minute, what's going on? And I'm like, unzip this baby. And we unzipped it. And I threw that dress in the trash the minute I got home. But I kept the shoes. I kept the shoes and I didn't know, and I know it's totally cold out. I don't care. I'm like, I am going to wear these shoes today and I'm going to rock these 52-year-old bridesmaid's shoes. So I feel like I'm thriving today because I have the bridesmaid's shoes on. Well, I know for me, when I'm in a difficult season of life, and there's plenty of those that come along, sometimes... I respond in a way that I did to that wedding. I am just gritting my teeth and anxious to get to the other side of it. And that's where I think that I'll feel some peace. Maybe I'll have a little bit more patience for my family. I can sleep better. I'll breathe better. And I think that's when all will be well, if I can just get to the other side of this. But that's... That's not what God has for us, to just live a life that we're surviving and just waiting to get to a moment where it's going to be better and it's going to be easier and we have some false sense of self-control. And I know for some of us, it may sound like, I just need to get to the weekend. Like, I am overwhelmed. Just get me to the weekend. For some of us, it may sound like, I just need to get to the next paycheck. I gotta get to the next paycheck. I don't know how I'm going to do it until I get there. When my three kids were little, I remember thinking frequently, if I can just get them to the age where they can walk to the kitchen, open the refrigerator by themselves, and make themselves a sandwich, that is the sweet life. That is the sweet life. Like, I will have arrived. Clearly, my standards for a thriving life were very low then. Very low. But that's what I thought. I just wanted to make themselves a sandwich. Like, why do they need to eat three times a day? Really? (laughs) But for some of us, it might sound like if I can just get through this illness, if I can just have my prodigal son or daughter back, or like the Israelites, if I can just get out of this city, I want to go home. What our survival seasons sound like is so different for each one of us. And there is nothing more that I wish that I could do than to sit at a table with each one of you ladies over a cup of coffee or maybe five and hear your story. Your story is sacred. And anytime I have an opportunity to listen to someone's story, It is the most incredible privilege, and I don't take that lightly. Whether it's where you are right now or where you've been, I know that if you're sharing your story with any level of authenticity and transparency, you cannot share your story without points of pain. 
because this is an upside down, broken world. And it is full of its fair shares of trials and tribulations. But what I want you to know more than anything is that God has purpose in that. There is purpose in your pain. When we submit that to him and we surrender that to him, he will bring purpose from that. And I love, there's a saying that says, oftentimes from your greatest pain comes your greatest mission and ministry. Because God is a redeeming God and he will use that for your good and for his glory and for you to comfort and love and serve someone else from the pain that you have been through. He is over it all, ladies. And he calls us to the life that thrives. And when we can discover how to thrive in those difficult seasons, not only does it change us, but it can transform families. It can transform your children and generations to come. And I know some of us, we're, we're hauling some baggage from some generational bondage. And if you could learn how to submit to what God has for you in the middle of those difficult trials and seasons, and you surrender it to him, you could be the one that breaks the chain of generational bondage. And I know I want that. I want that for my family. And as I prayed for each one of you here today, there was just a consistent message that the Lord just kept laying on my heart over and over. And I actually, I've talked to Cassie a few different times leading up to this. And in one conversation, I was just in tears. And I said, God is just revealing the same thing over and over, but it's so simple, but it's so profound all at the same time. And I think it's something that we forget And what I want you to walk away from today, from here, knowing that you know that you know is that God is good. He's so good. And he is for you. And he is in control. And I know sometimes it feels like he's not. I've been there. But he is in control. He is still on the throne and he is sovereign. And he can be trusted. And what I shared with Cassie, I said, you know, our purpose that God just keeps reminding me of and they they spoke about it in worship this morning is to know him and to make him known. So when people say, why am I here? That's why. To know the God of the universe who created you and has a purpose for you, and who is so crazy about you. To know his character and his love for you and to receive his forgiveness. To spend time with him and be in an intimate relationship with him, and then to make him known. And when we live a life where we're just surviving and we have said we believe Jesus is our Lord and Savior, but we're walking around like just completely wounded and just waiting to get to the next moment, what message are we communicating? I don't want to lose the opportunity to share my witness with somebody because I'm white-knuckling this life. I want somebody to look at me and say, I want what she has. How does she do that? And I'll say, I don't, but Jesus does. I don't. I can't. And that's okay. There's freedom in that. I can't. 
Well, if you have your Bibles with you, let's open them up to our theme passage, Jeremiah 29. If you've got a digital version, open that up, or it'll be on the screens as well. You can follow along there. But we're going to start in verse 4. And this is what Jeremiah wrote. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So I want to pause there for just a moment because I think it's really important that we understand why the Israelites are in Babylon and who took them there. Because here is a people that are living in a foreign land, in enemy territory, in exile, away from their home. These are not great circumstances. And it wasn't King Nebuchadnezzar. That's not their problem. The Babylonian army wasn't their problem. God was. God was. And when God is our problem, he's the only solution. And basically, he appointed Jeremiah as a prophet for the people to speak truth to them from the Lord himself. And he said, listen, you're in this place because I sent you there. And I sent you there because you forgot about me. Because he loves us. And he doesn't want to see his people not living the fullest life, the abundant life, the more life that he called them to. They were worshiping idols. They were engaging in sinful behavior. They had taken him off the throne. They had put themselves on the throne. And God said, I have more for you. And you weren't listening to me, so here we are. And I'm going to do something in this season for you because I'm good. I'm for you. I am in control. You can trust me. You can trust me. And ladies, it doesn't matter how we get to our foreign territory. Sometimes we find ourselves in foreign territory because it's a decision that we have made. Sometimes we end up in foreign territory because of a decision that someone else has made that has affected us. And sometimes we end up in foreign territory because the father says, come child. I've got something for you in this. No matter how you get there, there's purpose in it. When we submit to him and we allow him to mold us to the likeness of Jesus, he will bless us in the middle of it all. And I would love to share what I call our rescue story of when I understood what it looked like to move out of surviving and into thriving. I was 28 years old, and my husband, Mike, and I had our two-year-old son, Jacob, and we were in the process of going through a divorce. We really thought that was the best option for us. Our marriage was a mess. We were a mess. It was just ugly. And we thought, this is it. This is the best, this is the best solution. In the meantime, we had a neighbor that lived a couple doors down the street. Her name was Jamie, but I rarely referred to her by her first name. I always called her the Jesus freak, and unaffectionately so, because you couldn't spend any time with Jamie without her talking about the joy of the Lord and inviting us to church. Well, we also, and I love how God sets things up, there was a community mailbox at the end of our cul-de-sac that I had to walk to to get the mail, and Jamie's house was right next to the community mailbox. 
And so the only time I would pray is when I would walk to the mailbox. <laughs> and I would say, Lord, help me not see Jamie today. <laughs> and I would keep things fresh and I would change it up because I didn't want her to know my routine. And sure enough, she was always sitting on her front porch when I had to go get my mail. And so I'm walking to the mail one day. I say my prayer, Lord, help me not see Jamie. I'm walking. I can see her out of the corner of my eye. Oh, and I'm like, I don't have time for this today. And I know how this conversation's going to go. And sure enough, she calls me. You know, she's not going to miss me. I'm walking right by her. She's, hey, Amy. I'm like, oh, hey, Jamie. Yeah, so I walk over there. And we're talking. And per usual, at the end of our conversation, she says, I would love for you guys to join us at church. And I couldn't believe it when the words came out of my mouth. I said, yes. I said, yes. And I was surprised. I didn't even know what I was agreeing to, but I said, yes. And so I went home and I told Mike, I said, hey, I just saw Jamie. And he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I said, I told her we'd go to church with her. He goes, you what? And I said, I told her we'd go to church with her. And he goes, why would you do that? And I said, I don't know. I just think we're supposed to go. He goes, what do you mean you think we're supposed to go? He's never heard me talk like that. I never talk like that. And I said, I just think that we need to listen to what God has to say about this marriage before we throw in the towel. So we go. And it's this startup church. It's a little non-denominational Bible-based church, but it's a startup church that was meeting in a school gymnasium slash cafeteria. So a little awkward for my limited church experience, but it was a little awkward and then the rock band, which felt really weird, there was like a full rock band for worship comes on. I'm like, okay, this is a cult. Like, <laughs> what's ha what have we gotten ourselves into? And then the pastor comes out in stonewashed jeans, because I was super hip then. And he had on stonewashed jeans and a chief's jersey. And I'm like, this is not sacred. This is not holy. This is not church. There's no stained glass or incense or an organ. What are we doing here? And we went back. We loved it. We went back for a second week. And then we went back for a third week. And it was August 9th, 1998, and the pastor was in his stonewashed jeans and his chief's jersey again. And he was preaching a message with all the passion in the world on repentance. And I had never heard that term explained at all. And he said, you know, you're living your life and you're the boss and you're calling the shots and you're in the driver's seat. And then you realize your brokenness and your depravity and you come to the end of yourself and you have a decision to make. You can either keep going in that direction and keep calling the shots in your life or you can make a 180 degree turn and you can lay it all down at the foot of the cross and you can get off the throne of your life and you put Jesus in the rightful place in the throne of your life. You get out of the driver's seat. You put him in the driver's seat and you make him the Lord of your life, the boss of your life for all of your life. And I looked up at that awkward caged clock that was in that school and it was 11 a.m. on August 9th, 1998, and I held my hands out and I said, I am a mess. My marriage is a mess, my life is a mess, and Lord, I'm yours. I give it all to you. And within a few weeks, I was baptized, and guess what? Our marriage got worse. 
But that was a very Sunday school answer. <laughs> you can tell you were raised in the church, weren't you? Our marriage got worse because you know what? I became Jamie in my home. My husband and I were fighting over scripture. He was still coming to church with me and we'd fight about the message on the way home because he was not anywhere where I was at that point. He was just really wrestling with things and, and he was struggling. And so we would, we would fight about things of God. I mean, I had all this zeal and this joy and I couldn't understand why he didn't. I'm like, you're listening to the same messages that I am. What are you not getting? <laughs> and he is just very... Um, methodical and he's he's just here and he wanted so many answers up here and it just it wasn't clicking for him and I was so impatient I was trying to control all of it and I was lamenting to my sweet quiet grandmother one day and I said I don't get it like I'm so excited and I have this peace and like I'm committed to this marriage now I don't want to give up but he's just he he doesn't get it and she said Amy you need to shut your mouth and I was like taken back because my, my she's super tiny, little soft-spoken little gal. And I said, Grandma. And she goes, you need to shut your mouth. And I said, well, what do, you, what do you want me to do? And she goes, it is your job to love your husband. It is the Holy Spirit's job to convict him. It is not your job to be the spirit in his life. You need to surrender and trust the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit does. And you just need to love him. She goes, I have a challenge for you. I want you to wait until that man goes to sleep every night. And when he goes to sleep, I want you to put your hands on him. And I want you to pray over him. Every night until he says yes to Jesus. And I said, I'll do it. And she goes, hold on. Hold on. Do you know what you're signing up for? Because I know women that have been doing this for 30 years. And I thought about it, and I said, I want my marriage to work, and I want my husband to see Jesus in me. I will do it. And so I stopped fighting with him about scripture. I stopped trying to control his timeline and the Lord's timeline, and I would wait till he would go to sleep at night, and I would put my hands on him, and I would pray over him and ask that the Lord would soften his heart and open his eyes and his ears. And about five months later, I pulled in the driveway after work one night, and our pastor's car was in the driveway, and I walked in, and they were both sitting at the kitchen table, and I was, didn't know what was coming. There was no warning or anything, and my husband said, Amy, I have said yes to Jesus. Will you baptize me? <laughs> By God's grace, our marriage was healed <laughs> by God's grace. But I had to submit and I had to surrender and I had to trust his timing. I feel incredibly blessed that it was only five months and I have encountered women now that have been praying faithfully for years. And if that is you, do not stop, do not give up. There is hope. The Lord is chasing your man. You better believe that. He is the hound of heaven, and he is so good. He is so good. 
So it wasn't until I was able to step back that I really understood what it meant to thrive, to thrive. And this, this year, we're going to be celebrating 30 years of marriage, and I will be the first to tell you it is not always unicorns and fairies. <laughs> we have gone through some really incredibly dark seasons, not only with our family, but in our marriage. And there have been times that we have wanted to leave Even though we both knew Jesus and we put him at the center, there have been times. And this past year was probably one of the hardest times of our marriage since 1998. And my husband and I were actually just talking the other day, and it was interesting. We were doing a a workshop on how to leave a family legacy. And we're supposed to come up with stories that we can share with our children. And he said... He wrote down on his piece of paper, 1998 and 2022. And I thought that was so interesting that that was so pivotal for him. And so I asked him, because I wanted to just see what he had to say. And I go, I understand 1998, but what about 2022? And he said, that was our second rescue. It can still be difficult, but we can still thrive. We can still thrive in that. So let's look... Now at verse 5, Jeremiah 29, he writes, Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. So God is giving them a very clear strategy of how he wants them to live and thrive in the middle of this circumstance in this enemy territory. And Jeremiah is struggling because he's, he's kind of combating these false prophets who are coming along and they're telling the Israelites, oh, don't get settled down. You just need to be passive in your captivity because you're not going to be here very long. Because they didn't want to see the, the Israelites thrive in enemy territory and represent the God that they believed in, that they knew was powerful. But Jeremiah is making it very clear, you will be here a while And while you're here, you are to establish a kingdom presence and live out your kingdom purpose so that you can make a kingdom impact. God was clear that it was going to be a little while for them in this season. And we can't do that. And the Israelites couldn't do that. When they were relying on their own strength, they had to release it to the Lord and trust him for it. One of the... um, probably the most pivotal moment that we've had in our family and in our marriage was several years ago, we thought that our son was just enjoying college life and doing great. He was living about three hours away, and we thought he was learning great things about his, his career. He was, he was um, getting an aviation degree, and he had become a private pilot, and we were just so excited for him. And he was branching out, and we thought he was making new friends, and just we thought everything was great, only to find out that he attended the first four days of class, and then he dropped out. And then he was fired from every single job that he would get shortly after he would start. Then we discovered he had been evicted from his apartment, and he was living on the streets. 
And all of this was fueled by an addiction to heroin and alcohol. And you could have given us a thousand different things that we would walk through with our children, but addiction was never, never on our radar. And there were many, many, many nights that I sat up and I thought, this is, this is the night. This is the night that I'm going to get a knock on the door and the police are going to ask us to come identify our son. And we had reached out to him multiple times and said, we want to get you help. We want to get you in treatment. And he would say no. And then we wouldn't hear from him for months. And then we'd get a phone call when he would be arrested and he'd want bail money. And we'd say, we'll come right now and get you what we're going to take you to treatment. And he would say no. And then we wouldn't hear from him again until he was arrested. And this cycle went on and on. And I was sharing with my mentor one evening just how spent I was. I was so tired. And I said, I can't do this anymore. I am exhausted. Fear is taking over. And I just want it to be done. Like, I'm, I'm so over this. And she said, okay. You can do that, Amy. But you need to know that if you throw in the towel, God is going to throw it right back at you and he's going to say, wipe your face, girl. Wipe your face. And you need to buckle those boots of, 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 right, of your boots of peace. And you need to straighten your breastplate of righteousness. And you need to secure your helmet of salvation. And you need to pick up your shield of faith. And you need to wield your sword of the spirit. Because we've got work to do. We've got work to do. You don't get to give up. And my friend said, you have, listen, you have daughters that need their mother. And you have a husband who needs his wife. And you have ministry and mission and purpose that needs to be accomplished. And I get that you miss your son. I know that. But you don't get to miss your life and your purpose because you miss your son. And that was the courage that I needed. She just spoke courage over me. And I said, you're right. I've been trying to do this in my own strength. And I couldn't do it anymore. And I had come to the end of myself. And I grieved my son who was lost in addiction. But I had to surrender him at the foot of the cross. And I knew that he was too big for my lap. But he would never be too big for the father's. And I knew that he loved him and was for him and was writing his story. And I knew that he was for me. And ladies, he is for you. I don't know what it is you're trying to control in your own strength or what you're spinning over in your mind. It's time to turn it over to the Father and ask him, what do you have for me in this? Because I know you're good and that you're for me and I can trust you with it all. Well, let's pick back up in verse 7. Jeremiah writes, Seek peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers for you, or if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name, and I have not sent them. So here we have the Babylonians. They're... They're still wanting to resist. They're like wanting to fight. They are struggling in this captivity. 
And I know that there have been times in my life where I am just like a caged animal in certain seasons. And I felt like that at times when my son was in addiction, like I am just flailing. And so that's exactly what they're doing. They are resisting and they're wanting to fight back. And God is saying, I am asking you to just submit, lay it down. And not only was he calling for them to submit, but to pray and to pray for their prosperity. I know sometimes when we are in those difficult circumstances, we cry out to God and we say, change this. I want out of this. Change this circumstance in my life. And he's saying, but child, you're here because I want to change you. I want to change you. I have something for you in this. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. And I wish that I could tell you that thriving always felt amazing. It's not a feeling. Don't get it confused with that. We put such a high value on feelings in our culture. God's saying, lean into me. Trust what I'm doing through you and in you through this this process and in these circumstances. I love in Zechariah 13, 9, it says, I will refine them, says the Lord, like silver and purify them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. And I will say, they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is our God. He purifies us in our trials so that we can look more like Jesus. And when we start exemplifying the the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, kindness, that is evidence that we are shifting into this life of thriving. And that makes an impact on the people that are around us. Another time in my son's addiction, I had a very good friend of mine look at me, and I was, I was having one of my breakdown moments. And she said, Amy, do you, do you really believe what you say you believe? And I said, what do you mean? She goes, well... The way that you're acting and responding to this is communicating to your daughters that you don't believe God's trustworthy. Your fear and this spinning that you're doing is communicating that he's not good and he's not faithful. And that wrecked me. It broke my heart because that is the last thing I want. I want my daughters, and the people around me, and my husband to say, this was really awful, but God. And she still followed, and she still worshiped him, and she still praised him, and she still pursued him in the middle of it. Ladies, he doesn't want more from us. This is not a checklist of more things for you to do. He doesn't want more from us. He doesn't need anything from us. He wants more of us because he has more for us. And Jesus said in John 10.10, I have come that they may have life in abundance. I don't want to miss out on that because I'm white knuckling this life. I don't want to miss out on the more that Jesus has for me. And I don't want you to miss out on the more that Jesus has for you. So let's finish out in verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill the gracious promise 
to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart, and I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from the nations and places where I banished you, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Now, Jeremiah 29, 11 is just this incredibly beautiful promise that is given to the Israelites as a gift, and it's just to put wind in their sails and to give them courage to remember who God is and that he is for them. And this is a verse that is probably the most quoted scripture verse um, in in all of scripture. We see it on T-shirts and bumper stickers and mugs, but it's also misquoted. Because when you take a look at the context of it, this was written for a very specific people in a specific time. And oftentimes I have seen people use this as a blanket statement for a a promise that God has given to all people. That he's just going to prosper us and give us whatever we want when we want it. And that's not the case. That is wrong interpretation and application. But I do believe there is application for God's people today. Because we are living in a foreign territory. This place is not our home. He is preparing a place for us in heaven that is far beyond what we can imagine. But he still says, but I want you to seek peace in this place. I want you to pray for your leaders. Pray for your neighbors. And I want you to seek me in this. I want you to live out your kingdom purpose in the middle of this foreign territory and make a kingdom impact for your families and your neighborhoods and your cities and your workplaces. He is going to come back for us and take us to the promised land, but we have to trust him in the waiting. But I love that that God says, he calls us and he says, seek me. And one of the, the most precious ways and sacred times and ways for me to seek God is through prayer. And I know we connect with God in many, many different ways, and that's okay. But I love to go before the throne of grace on behalf of my children. And I will argue with anybody on the planet about this. I believe there is no greater power this side of heaven than a mother who's praying for her children. There is power in our prayer. And we recently moved into a new home in um, this summer. And I just want to share my very favorite room And the whole house, it's our closet. And it's my war room. And that's where I go to battle for my family. And I have this cheap little Amazon desk that's rickety and unstable, but it is sacred. It is sacred to me. And when you find me in that closet, you usually won't even find me at the desk. I will usually be laid out on the floor, face down, carpet fibers in the nose, because that's how I pray. And how sweet is it that we read in scripture that the Lord of the heavens bends to hear his children pray. There's power in prayer. Well, I wanna wrap up today by just sharing something that was incredibly impactful in my life. And it was a game changer for me 
And it was a sermon that was preached by Rick Warren many years ago. Rick was the author of Purpose Driven Life, one of the best-selling books of all time. And a friend of him, uh, his told him, he said, Rick, life is like a game of poker. You never know what you're going to be dealt. But a wise player plays their hand well. And you can be dealt a really weak hand, but you can win the game. And so Rick thought about that, and he said, okay, well, if life is like a a game of poker, what are the cards? And he determined that the cards were the things that are, on, are beyond our control. And the first card is chemistry. And your chemistry is your physical makeup. This is your DNA. This is how God has wired you, your biology, your personality. You have no control over that. The second card is connections. These are the relationships that we have that we don't choose. We don't choose the family that we're born into. So what are those relationships that you have lifelong connections to that are beyond your control? The third card is circumstances. And these are those things that happen to you or around you that that you don't have control over. The last card, or the fourth card, excuse me, is conscience. These are the, this is your self-talk. So these are the things that were told about you or to you as you were growing up in those formative years. And so these are the tapes that play over and over in your head. But the last card is the wild card. And this is the card that can make or break your entire hand. It is the most important card in the deck. And it's choices. Choices. There's very little in life that we can control, but we can choose how we respond. And so my question for you today is how are you going to play the hand you're dealt? Because a wise player can get a really crummy hand and play it well and win the game. And God is always our best choice. He is good. He is for you. He is in control, and you can trust him. And we can continue to rely on our own strength, or we can say, Jesus, I'm yours. You do what you want, and we can step into thriving. And at this point, I want us to have an opportunity to do that in a time of prayer. And you'll see that there's baskets at the end of some of the aisles. And if you would just take those baskets and grab a little box that looks a little different than mine, but you each get to take a box with you today. And when you open up that box, there's going to be paper in that. And we're gonna invite you into a time of prayer where you can seek the Lord and ask him, what is it that I need to surrender? What do I need to give up and hand over to you so that I can step into thriving. Maybe it's someone, maybe it's something, maybe it's a circumstance. Maybe, ladies, there are some of you that were where I was in 1998, and instead of a box that maybe God is asking you to surrender, maybe it's he's asking you to receive the gift he has given you of his love and his grace, and his forgiveness. And you're going to receive that for the first time today. We're going to invite prayer partners to come up front. 
You are welcome to stay at your seats and just pray and seek God in this. But if you would like someone to pray over you, we invite you to come up and have one of our prayer partners pray with you. We'll have some music going because this is just a special time between you and the Lord. So let me just start us out in prayer. Father God, oh, you are so good. And I am so grateful that you are so patient, I know, with me. So often I am such a mess. And you say, I know, but I love you. But I love you too much to keep you there, so let's go on this journey. And I don't want to miss what you have for us. I don't want to miss what you have for each one of these ladies. You know exactly the circumstances that they're walking in right now. You are so crazy about them, and I know you have more for them. And I pray that they would release whatever it is they may be struggling with. And they start relying on the strength of the Holy Spirit, God. So that they can make a difference to those around them, but that you will make a difference in them. You don't want us to survive, you call us to thrive. And I know the enemy is going to try whatever he can to trip us up. But what he means for evil, God, you will use for good because you're faithful. So I just ask for a blessing over each and every woman that is in this room and for their families. That you would go before them, behind them and beside them. And that they would call upon you and say, you, Lord, are my God. I am not the God in my own kingdom, but God, you are my God. And I give it all to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Shine upon
others uh, a few extra in the back that you can grab um, when you leave this room a little bit later but right now we would like to um, close out session one and, and move on to session three but first we do want to honor this time and just say a quick prayer over your families God we thank you so much for the gift that you have given us and for those that you have called us to love. And we pray that in those circles of families that we, um, we can make you known. And in these circles that we love so deeply that we, you can be made known deeply make you and honor you and make you big in their lives. For the hurt that can come with families, pray that in these seasons where it feels like we're just surviving in some of these relationships, give us insight in how we can turn those situations into thriving relationships. Bring healing where there's hurt. Show us how we can show your love to those that you have called us. 